This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Man, oh man, and I am so excited about today's episode. Today, I talk with the founder of Emerge Sales Training. Her name is Tasha Smith. She also runs the Christian Network Marketers Facebook group, a very popular Facebook group. She gives so much to me in this conversation. As a matter of fact, there's one thing that she shares that she said she has never shared publicly before, and she chose my time with her to talk about it. And so I'm completely blown away by that. I'm completely honored. You know, knowing how many people Emerge Sales Training has impacted just in our network marketing organization, doTERRA, Essential Oils, she has impacted thousands of people, not just her, but she's also done a great job of duplicating herself. So she's kind of living out what she's teaching. She's done a fantastic job of being a leader of leaders. And she's also realized what her core competency and her core strengths are. And on top of that, she's really well known for being in hoodies and loving tacos. And then whenever you talk with her, she's always got that turquoise background. And now she's added like a little window (laughs) window decal onto the wall. So I always can tell when Tasha is on. Those are some of the things that brand her and, and are signatures of her. And she has a very, very interesting story, fascinating story of growing up. She gets into all of it from being very young and a pivotal moment she had when she was 16 years old that changed the course of her life and really affected and was the, the, the beginning of was what turned things around and and started her on the journey to what is now a very very successful coaching business and work she does workshops and she's really is has such a heart for giving and uh, really training up salespeople is very uh, sure of who she is and what she wants to teach because of her background in network marketing indirect sales she's very very confident in what she does and she should be. She's an, she's a, a, one of the top coaches for our industry and not just for doTERRA, but for the direct sales industry. And she's really built a great business. So I was honored to speak with her. This is actually number two of a, of two conversations we had one. I was interviewed by her in the Christian network marketers group. And now this was me saying, okay, now we're going to turn the tables and bring you on the courage cast. I'm excited. You're going to really, really love this interview. Uh, I'm I'm so thankful for Tasha that she was so vulnerable with me to be able to share. And I was honored that she was willing to share some things that she had never shared before. So here we go. The music is starting and we are about to get into our conversation with Tasha Smith of Emerge Sales Training. Well, I want to welcome Tasha Smith with Emerge Sales Training to the Courage Cast. Tasha, welcome. Thank you so much, Eric. So this is awesome. The tables are turning. Uh, I just <laughs> I just joined your video. Was it a podcast or was it a video cast? So what we do you have call both. It? So we have 
uh, the Christian Network Marketers community. So we'll put it on the main Facebook page and then we'll, we have a group mm-hmm. to really encourage conversation, which is really where we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And we also have a pot. I mean, we, we run it to all three. Right. Okay. So the Christian Network Marketers pod, uh, community is on Facebook. So everybody that's listening, I encourage you to join it. I'm part of it. Um, what I love, Tasha, is you're doing a lot of the same kind of things that the Courage Cast is doing yep. or the Courageous Community is doing, mm-hmm. but you put uh, just a whole different spin on it. And um, I love getting the inspiration that you give. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, Tasha, um, you have been somebody that I've seen grow. You've kind of came into, we, we of course, do uh, doTERRA uh, as, our, as our business. It's been something that we... Uh, we've done for quite a while now, six years. Mm-hmm. And about three years ago, I guess it was, um, you began to come on the scene with some pretty amazing training. Um, tell me a little bit about why you started uh, Emerge Sales Training. And you do a lot more than that now too, don't you? You're doing coaching or is that all wrapped up into the Emerge? Yeah, it's all training? wrapped up into Emerge. So God, how far back do you want to go, Eric? Um, a little bit after you were born. So maybe, you know, after the teen years would be good. After the teen years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, so I always see so you said after the teen years. So for a different day, we can talk about um, a pivotal moment that I had when I was 16. Oh, I want to talk about that. No, no, no. Don't, don't hold that back. I it, want to hear it, would, it would be the first time I spoke publicly on the matter and it would be on your thing. So... I'm I'm good to talk about it, but it would it would be the first time. Really? Are you sh- are you sure? I mean, I would. To me, uh, you know what's funny is I actually had a feeling this this is where this conversation was going to go today. Okay, right. uh, this is already a win. If this is all we talk about, that's all I care about. So please share. Yeah. So I mean, if you're listening, grab some Kleenex. Right? It's one of those. Okay. You're, you're, are you a crier, Eric? I'm not a crier, so I think I'll be okay. okay. So. Um, when I was 16, so I was like a good kid, like the epitome of a good kid. So straight A student, you know, class council, captain of the basketball team, softball team, the whole deal. I was driving on my way to a college showcase. I played basketball in college for a few years and, um, I got in a car accident Okay. and in, in the car accident, I, um, there was a lady in the other car. It wasn't a bad accident. Really. It wasn't that bad, but she was in her eighties and wasn't wearing her seatbelt. And so, um, she did not make it through, through that car accident. And so what happened is I was 16 years old. Was it your fault? Was the accident your fault? Or uh, yes. So what happened is the way the hill went, and what I learned a few years later is I have some peripheral vision issues. But the two lights were stacked like this. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in that situation? And I saw the second. Okay. Gotcha. So it wasn't really a horrible like. I mean, I was forty miles an hour. They were twenty miles an hour. Like it wasn't this thing, but because of those circumstances, so. I was 16 years old on my way to write this bright future and was charged with vehicular manslaughter um, and potentially, um, you know, the sentence for that is, is juvenile hall. Wow. So that was crazy. Um, But the, what made it even crazier was the next week, um, this girl that sat in front of me in chemistry class got hit by a drunk driver and she didn't make it. 
Oh, okay. And so everyone in our school, I went to a small Christian school in Orange County, California. And so everyone was shocked and everyone thought, well, that could have been me. But I had this different version of that could have been me than anyone else had. And I remember asking God, what, like, why, why is this different? And so what was really interesting about the whole experience is, you know, I, I was like, okay, God, help me. But like, you don't know what that even feels like at age 16 or even right now at age 38, what that feels like. And so he, every single person I met along my road I had to tell them, okay, what's your name? So, like, let's go back to the ambulance. Ambulance said, what's your name? I told them. School did you go to? Brother Christian High School. Oh, you're a Christian? Me too. And they would speak some truth about, like, it's a, God's going to make sure this is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up having to go and get mugshots and fingerprints a few months later um, when I was officially charged. And... Uh, the the off booking officer, same questions, same response. Um, I had to go meet with a probation officer, my lawyer, all of these things. Every single response was like, God has you. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And so when I asked God, like, why, what on earth? And he said to me, I have something for you. Like, I have a lot of work. To, like, you're going to do something you're going to change the world. I'm not done with you yet. That's why you're here. And so when you, when people ask me the, like, when did Emerge start? It started there. And I it was felt very clear that God was saying, you are to be an encourager. Um, Is that because I, you were receiving so much encouragement? I don't know. I just know that that was it. It was like, you are to be an encourager for all. Mm. And I didn't know what that looked like. I, um, you know, a couple of years later, so I ended up with six months probation, uh, misdemeanor, closed case, right? Okay. Um, before I was 18, everything ended up just fine, at least on that end, you know, sans mm-hmm. nightmares for 15 years. But yeah, <laughs> um, Jeez. so then I thought I was going to go into, I, I started as a psychology major, then a human development major right? Those kinds of things. And then I gravitate toward political science because like, ooh, these books seem all very interesting. So I thought, well, I guess I'll be a lawyer. Although I didn't know it wasn't really exactly right because it's not like lawyers are, are encouragers. And then I started selling knives. <laughs> yeah, I know. How did you, so you got out of college and you, you didn't know, you didn't really know what to do with your degree except for sell knives? Well, no. So I started selling knives between my junior and senior year for a summer job. Okay, summer job. Mm-hmm. And so then I met this guy named Chris who um, I took him field training. And because the other story was longer, I'll make this one shorter, but this is really an interesting one as well. He was horrible, like yeah. self proclaimed, like made all no sales. I took him field training. He sold $3,500 in 10 days. And he stood up at the next meeting and said, and he stood straight and he said, I can now, I believe I can do anything. Whoa. Because I learned, because I learned how to sell. And this is a stereotypical 18-year-old Asian computer science major who was giving a speech in front of 30 to 40 people. Yeah. This is how learning how to sell changed my life in one week. And so it was at that point that I tossed the LSAT books. Um, My my Indian parents were really, really excited about my profession. (laughs) And I, at that point, devoted my life to teaching people how to sell. Wow. And here we That's are. That's amazing. So here you are. So this was, uh, so you devoted your life teaching people how to sell. 
so that there's a long gap between your between your junior and senior year yep. until 38 years old. So tell me about you know your journey. Sure. So I um, ran my own cut co office. I did that for a few years. Um, you mean you you I had found- when you say cut co office, you you built a team. Uh, Yeah, I built a team. So I personally recruited almost a thousand sales reps. Um, How did you do that? (laughs) How How did you personally recruit a thousand sales reps? So it was a little bit of a different process than traditional network marketing. So we worked with college students. And so we did advertising for summer college work. Mm -hmm. Um, Cutco was set up differently where they did offer a base pay for sales reps if they couldn't earn enough off commission. So in the course of a week, you know, the average is $15 an appointment. So if I did 10 appointments and I earned 200 in commission, I keep the 200. But if I only earned $50 in commissions, the company would split, give the extra $100 Mm -hmm. to pay that base pay. And so what that did is it allowed for just um, less pressure, like higher appointment rates because people said, I get paid no matter what. It allowed for, um, you know, people to be, feel comfortable stepping into the role. As a manager, we were responsible for a quarter of it. The company would pick up the rest. Right. Um, so we had it, you know, we wanted to make sure people, but the, like the product was so good and the training was so excellent that we rarely ever had to pay minimums because people always wanted it because it's just so incredibly good. And the yeah. training, Eric, was so, so good. And yeah, so people, yeah, did great. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's different. We could, we were able to advertise much differently than a network marketer could today. Right. There's a lot of restrictions, right? Like even on Facebook ads, you cannot, you know, you're prohibited from advertising the MLM community. So it was a little different landscape there, a little bit stru- different structure. I don't know exactly what they're doing today, mm-hmm. um, but I would imagine it's a similar, I mean, partnerships with colleges, internships, uh, personal recruits. Sure. But, just, but so, so, but the, the recruiting part is different, but the training is very much the same because it's psychology of selling. I remember taking a Brian Tracy, my yeah. dad gave me the psychology of selling when I was 18 and I was like you, you know, in college just like listening and, and it's true. Once you know how to sell, it's very empowering. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did that. Um, I don't operate really well under stress, um, when it comes to serve, right? Stress impacts your ability to serve really well. And so like I had this place where I was, I was good at what I did. So if there's an incentive trip, I could always win it if there was right. Like, but anytime I went into stress or I got sick or I got tired and thing like I didn't have the maturity to handle that. Yeah. So I found myself working a lot for a basic like forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, which was not terrible. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "What's happening to my mid twenties? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I had some pressure from my parents, like, "When are you going to get a real job?" I loved all my people. Like, it was just a tricky spot. So I, you know, I will talk about this inside my coaching practice. I was not good at managing my monthly profit and loss. I didn't make decisions based on it. Mm-hmm. I looked at, and this is why some of the controversial things I ask people questions on, this is where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Where I, I never asked, the reason I went out of business is because when people told me, like, here are the things that you should be, should be doing is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, okay, this advertising strategy is working for your friend Ryan, for this person, this person, you should do it too. Well, it wasn't profitable for me. 
Mm-hmm. But instead of looking at it and saying, this is not profitable for me and my territory, my personality, whatever, I just kept sinking money. Mm-hmm. So I had the highest, one of the highest productivities. I had tons of development, right? On the surface, everything was great, but the profitability was low because I wasn't making decisions based on what I knew the math said, what I knew was right for me. I was, I had too much fear of missing out. Okay. And so this is why inside my coaching practice, I am so passionate about people measuring their profit and loss and making decisions for their business that they have ownership over. Yeah. As opposed to blind following, because at the end of the day, my division manager wasn't financially responsible for my business. Mm. Of course. Right? It they was give you all the advice they wanted to, but that, you know, should, should, should. So, you know, if he gets paid off revenue, but I get paid off profit mm-hmm. and it wasn't, I don't think it was ever, um, bad advice. It was just, I didn't have the, I didn't empower myself to make the decisions and say, no, this is not profitable for me, or this is not, this is making me hate this part of my business and oh, yeah. it's the whole thing. So, uh, then I went, I worked at university of Phoenix for 11 years. Um, so I sold education. Uh, which was awesome because it's helping people to have a better life, encouragement, right. um, being Indian, like we're diehards on education because you're either a servant or you're not, or you have them or you're not in India. So can I, can I stop there for a second? Cause you've mentioned the Indian background um, quite a bit. So I was just curious. Um, I don't understand. I don't pretend to understand the Indian culture, but sure. I do, I do know that's where chess was formed. <laughs> And I, I do know that there is a different um, family structure or culture there. So tell yeah. me a little bit more about, you felt, you keep saying you felt pressure from your Indian parents. Yeah. So my parents are great. And on the spectrum of Indian parents, they are the most supportive ones you will ever, ever meet. Yeah. However, in Indian culture, so it wasn't that they applied pressure. It was just like the thing. It was always... Um, what profession are you going to do? And it comes from the poverty background of India, where it really is, if you are educated, you'll get a good job and you'll be out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And if you're not educated, you will not get a good job and you will be in poverty. And that was a very real thing. That's not a fake thing at all. So when, when my dad came here, you know, he's a doctor and it's like, you need to find a profession so that you will be able to, you know, sustain your family and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, on a on a side note, my dad had open heart surgery when he was twenty nine. My mom was nine months pregnant with me. It was a week before my birthday, and so he raised me very differently. He said, "You never know what could happen to your husband. It's important you'll always be able to take care of yourself." Oh, so that's gotcha. kind of like a side mm-hmm. thing going on. That's not. Like, so the Indian culture is a very high professional. Like, are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be an engineer? Or are you going to be a lawyer? There's not much room for the arts or salesman, saleswoman. Now, business owner is okay, but I never positioned it that way. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the context there. Um, So so University of Phoenix teaching. Yep. So I did a new hire training, but again, I was, I was basically teaching counselors. Mm -hmm. So again, it was people not from a sales background and teaching them how to communicate authentically with integrity to enroll people to move forward as opposed to being an analysis paralysis. And so 
like that all happened. Um, that's where, and you know, you and I have, have talked a little bit about Karen. Uh, she's my business partner with Emerge. And we actually built the alumni department from scratch there. Oh, okay. Um, and so what ended up happening is there was like just stuff that happened. Karen's location closed. I thought that was like the worst thing ever. I found myself in a space where I had capped out my income. I was driving a lot and I was like 35. And I'm like, this, like <laughs> I'm going to do the same job for the rest of my life, driving all the time in Southern California. I, there has to be something. And I felt this, like I loved my 10 employees and I knew I was doing a good job encouraging them. But at that point, my scope had become so limited where I was like, these 10 forever. Right. And I knew that that wasn't it. And so that's when I put up a little podcast, um, put up a website, met my friend. She invited me to an essential oil class, started coaching her. Uh, she went from making 50 bucks a month to $450 a month, upline hired, upline hired. And then that's kind of what you ended up seeing. So it was all organic. It was all through my one-on-one coaching practice that I built that. And then we had to scale it into group coaching. And that's kind of how we all, how all of that happened. And so now I just feel very, very clear that like, Oh, all of those things have prepared me for this, even to the detail of when I had to open my Cutco office and I had to graduate early, I had to do an independent study with a political theory professor where he was like, Oh, you're going to sales. Let's study the political theory of persuasion. No, like all of those, like you look back, it's always looking back, right. That you look back on all of those details that were like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's where we are. Um, So how did Emerge start? That was a question, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to know like what the background was of Emerge starting. So yes, I think, I think you answered it really well. Um, so, but, and you know, what's interesting, I just wanted to comment when you're 68, you're going to look back on your time when you were 38 and you're going to sure. say, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing now at 68 is exactly what I was supposed to be doing then, you know, and how that all evolved. So it's uh, it's all a matter of perspective. I'm finding that as as a 48 year old um, or about to be 48 year old that that certainly happens. So, okay, so you started emerge. What I like about you, Tasha, is you're very transparent, and we only have a few minutes to talk about this. But um, whatever you can share with me uh, about what is it about emerge and your training and your coaching that uh, why do you think it was so successful and why do you think it's uh, developed so many blue diamonds and diamonds and presidentials and leaders now that you can count? I think you had a count of how many have been through Emerge. You know, why yeah. do you think it is? So we, so I'll give you a few stats. So we're, we just crossed 7,500 students. Um, I think this past week, uh, but we counted 128 former students or current students or whatever that walked the carpet at last week's convention. Wow. So, or that last year. Diamonds or above. Correct. Um, that's people who walked, right? So they would mm-hmm. have recently promoted. Um, now we can't take credit for all of that. I'm not, certainly not saying that at all. Um, they went out and did the work. We provided the support. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the percentage of people that have taken our courses versus wellness advocates and the percentage of people that walk the carpet versus, right, like those numbers are very, very much skewed. 
So maybe there's a correlation. Maybe not. I'll let you guys come to your own conclusion on that. We did sell out the Home Essentials kit three times in the first six months I started coaching heavily. Yes. Yes. Well, the Uh, big bottle, little bottle, big bottle. Little bottle, big bottle led to a lot of Home Essentials that nobody was prepared for. Yeah. So I... I mean, we want to credit the people. So why does it work so well? It, everything is written from the customer perspective. So remember my craft is, is that um, my superpower is taking all the learning and simplifying it into something that increases individual performance. Uh, that's the way I would summarize my five strengths finder talents. It's an exercise I do for my clients. And so I think that helps. Um, but there's actually quite a bit of research, Eric, that shows that when a company head, right, we'll call it upline, um, rallies the sales team, it's not nearly as effective as when a customer rallies the sales team. Ooh, wait, say that again. So when, when a leader rallies their sales team, it is not nearly as moving as effective or as effective as when a customer rallies the sales team. And how I don't remember I, where I read this research. How can a customer rally a whole sales team? Because I can say stuff like this right? You can't say to your downline, go out there and sell, like get out of your comfort zone. But I can say to a customer, if you don't make the call, my kid is still throwing a tantrum on the ground and kicking my wall. You have a moral and an ethical obligation to make those calls. Mm -hmm. Where the upline has to say you have a business obligation to make the calls. And so a customer can rally people in a way that no one else can. And so I've been criticized for being an outsider heavily pretty recently, actually. I mean, I've been torn apart pretty good. Um, yeah, well, in the past you've had to exercise your, uh, your forgiveness muscle. Sure. Um, but what, what's unfortunate is, is I, is I hear it through grapevine, right? But the criticism is not a, you know, outsider, but the gift is the outsider. The gift is I can literally tell you, here's how I use this product. I can tell you things like, why are you not selling elevation to adding it to every single home essentials kit because that is the reason my husband and my daughter don't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. I can say those things where you can't say those things in the same way. It will always be tainted. Yeah. I make no money, right? Our, our pricing on our coaching programs is priced for access. I believe that's something God has called me to do against the advisement of pretty much every accountant in the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't profit off of your success in the same way. Like, so my intentions are just, my goal is to help you do better. And we come from the perspective that we represent your customers. Mm -hmm. And so when I I just started coaching in um, a client in a different company and I I watch all their content, I'm like, if I was a customer, would I want to sit through this? How would I feel? Mm. And so like, I see myself as the protector of the customer and the protector of the new sales rep who doesn't know anything. If I would have showed up, in doTERRA, the way the training was set up back then, I would have never made it. No. I am a pro. What you see here today is because Cutco had a skill development model from the very first day that taught me what to say, why I said it, how to say it, and how to be authentic and caring yeah. in all of those things and how to help people to reach their goals. And so I just feel really passionately that you know, our diversity is our strength, right? You know, things that I don't know as an outsider. And I want, like, tell me that, like, if I've missed something, I want to know that. Yeah. Right. But I also have value 
somewhere else to be able to say, wait a second, do you know how this makes a customer feel when you say you have to be a product of the product? Do you know what customers think? Yeah, it's, it's not a positive one. It's an obligation. Right. So like, there's just all this, like, this is what we do because this is how we do it. And when you have a customer coming in and saying, wait a second, let's re-examine the sales process. Mm-hmm. Are you making it easier for me to help my family? Or are you making it harder for me to sell? And this is where courage comes in. I think some sales processes are built um, because of lack of courage, right? That like sometimes when the wellness advocate or whoever, whatever company you're with or whatever business you own, doesn't even, it could be, you know, as an accountant, right? We, we put in these different, guards so people don't feel pressure to buy but the guards are not for the person the guards are for us the guards are for the ones asking yeah and i think that right i i i want people to understand that we have this obligation to tell your customer these are the things that will help don't just solve their current needs all their future ones so yes okay this is the thing for this thing but also, are you going to end up in a situation where your kid is puking? Are you going to end up in a situation where your husband is fighting with your six-year-old every single day to where no one's functioning? Are you going to be in a situation in which X, Y, Z? Well, then right. let's make sure you are prepared so you can walk over to your dresser, countertop, whatever, and handle it. Yep. You're, you, what you're saying, and I know we have to wrap up. You've, you've got appointments. I, I'm um, good. I have, I, have an, I have a few. I'm good few minutes. Okay. Well, what, what you're saying reminds me a lot. Um, have you read the challenger sale? I've read one third of the challenger sale. Sorry, well, author of the challenger sale. Yeah. I don't even know who it is, but, um, from what I understand that type of salesmanship is not the relationship seller, uh, is the most successful. The, the, cha- the one that challenges, uh, the, the customer in a, in a positive way towards what they know to be the best thing for them yep. is a, is a pivotal thing. And I think that's a core element to how you teach. Yeah. Well, it requires courage. Yeah, it does. And that's, that's what ultimately we're here to talk about. We ended up on a totally different topic, but not really. It all is all related. It's all, well, it requires courage to say, Eric, I think this kit will be the one that will help your family. Would you like to order it? <clears throat> yeah. Versus it does. Eric, here's a kit, go back and think about it and let me know what you think. Right. That Which doesn't require is, courage. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's, um, it's a, an escape from, you know, asking the question and then you're not really loving them. And that's really where I, where I get, get to is like, which way are you loving them more? What shows real love to people? When you're a parent and you have a child that you know is getting into trouble, uh, if you love them, you're going to tell them, stop, don't do that. This is a better way, right? Yep. Yep. And then what we do is we give people words they're comfortable with as opposed to forcing them to be uncomfortable. So there's a lot of like, get out of your comfort zone and feel the fear and do it anyway. And I think those are sometimes taken out of context. Yep. What I think is really important is that everyone is communicating in a way that is authentic and does feel like them. So when, when I coach or when we train people, what we try to do is take them to the edge of what they're comfortable with. Get them into a space where, you know what, I could say that and I would feel good about myself. Yeah. Okay, cool, now go. And then we can go a little bit further. But I don't, I think there's a difference between I'm, 
afraid of rejection versus I don't like how this sounds and that gut response we need to honor as leaders. If they say, I don't feel right saying that, we cannot respond with feel the fear and do it anyway. We have to respond with tell me why. Okay, if we could craft this in a way that you did feel comfortable, what? and it's usually like one word, Eric. It's amazing. It doesn't even matter in the Mm -hmm. thing that makes people feel better. Right. And you know, that's what we want to do. But then we apply that into leadership. And so we're known very much for the sales training, skill development, not system. So a lot of people think, well, it's a system. And when they do that, they get disappointed. Right. Because we are not here to say, step one is do this. Step up is do this. Here's how this works in the comp plan. It's not, we're not designed to do that. We are skill developers. So you can walk into any scenario and be highly skilled. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as opposed to here are the six steps to elite or whatever, like we, we work with those things to be able to execute at a high level what those skills are because your situation might not be in that. Right. And the other thing that really makes us different is our coaching. Uh, I've heavily invested again, much to the dismay of any conventional wisdom um, in professional coaching for our team. Our coaches are awesome Uh, They're encouraging. They'll walk you through it. I believe coaching and mentorship. I'm an athlete. Um, Coaching and mentorship is critical. I don't believe in just signing up for an online course, being in a 5,000 person Facebook group and me living on a private Island. Uh, (laughs) Oh, wait, that's what I'm doing. I know. That's what a lot of people do. And you know what? If they're doing that, great. That is not what God has called me to do. Right, right. God, God has called me to create a team of people that will encourage the masses and, you know, for all the ups and the downs and all that, um, that, that vision hasn't, hasn't changed. And so what makes us different, we have someone on calls with you once a week to answer your questions, celebrate your wins. I don't know, care about you. Oh, geez. What a concept. Ask you how you're doing in your business, maybe a few months later to see <laughs> how we can help further. I, I have to say your team, uh, when I went through direct sales foundation was so good Thank two you. and a half years ago. They followed up with me. There was, you know, they made sure there was no possibility that I could fail and I wouldn't finish. So yeah. um, I do have to give you credit. You've done a fantastic job of duplicating yourself into others. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. You can't do uh, it. You can't scale if you don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been challenging. It's not easy to train, you know, coaches in a turbulent environment where you don't know what the heck you're doing, right? Like right. I didn't plan any of that at that rate, at the rate it went. So uh, did that answer your question about what it is about emerge? emerge? That's different. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Authenticity, uh, caring for the customer, and you're speaking from the customer's standpoint, and you're yeah. you're vouching for those for those new people. Um, I, I want to wrap it up uh, with two things. Number one, I want you to tell me uh, where you can find everything about you, so people can connect with you. Yeah, sure. So you can just go to my personal Facebook page. Um, Tasha Saran Smith. I, I haven't hit like the Saran rap. No, but you know what's really fun? Are you allowed to swear on this podcast? I don't know what the. Um, you can. I'd love to put a beep in there somewhere. That'd well, it's fun. not actually swearing. So the Facebook name that Facebook gave me was Tasha, like Saran Smith SS. Mm-hmm. But if you spell that, out, if you look at it, it says Tosh. Okay. <laughs> And I thought that was so hilarious. Uh, I can't believe it. Right. Yes. Um, But you can, you can follow me on Facebook. Most of my posts are public 
So we don't necessarily have to be friends, um, but you are more than welcome to follow me on my main Facebook page. That's where most of my stuff, like my personal stuff is. Yep. Um, if you follow the main Emerge Sales Training Facebook page, that's where you get content, mm-hmm. um, all of our workshops, get connected in there, and you can contact us for um, you chat with one of our coaches about how we can help you with your business. The other thing about the Emerge, the Emerge um, that I just want to say is a lot of the work we're doing now is in leadership development. And mm-hmm. I think that's not something that a lot of people know um, because our brand for the sales piece is so higher. Our sales training is still, I hope it's the best in the world. That's our goal. Um, but our leadership, the how to be a sales manager piece of it, which is what keeps people at that silver and gold level is I think by far our legacy content. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and what's really going to make the difference for people long-term. Yeah. I think that's, it's totally next level and it's something that will, um, be everlasting. When you know how to do that, it's just the confidence level is, is completely different and your people skills just improve dramatically. One of the best things that happened to me was I took a Dale Carnegie course when I was 16 years old. When you were 16, you got in an accident and a major thing happened. I was 16 and I got, I took Dale Carnegie. Awesome. It changed my life. Um, okay. So my last question is a fun one. You have kind of, I think it's three things that you're known for that are your brand. Yeah. And I want you to tell us what those are and why, why you came up with them. Um, well, I didn't come up with them, actually. I just showed up as me. So they were not intentional, um, the three things. So, I mean, the two big things are the, the hoodies and the tacos. Yep. What's the third thing you're thinking of? I have no idea, but I just thought there was two, three things. So maybe it was just two. Yeah, so the third one is kind of the mean coach persona, the like hard-nosed, kind of get in your face um, the asking of the tough questions or the, why are you doing that? That, mm-hmm. or the, tell me what's on your mind. Um, the challenger. you're the, the challenger. challenger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So eight is, I think is what we came to on that. What is it called? Enneagram, Enneagram. Enneagram. Uh-huh. Eight. Uh-huh. I think it's eight. I, yeah. I, I can see that. I'm a seven. If that okay. means anything. Um, so, okay. So tacos and hoodies, that's so true. And why, why is that important? Like to, to, notice that and, and, uh, make a thing about it. How sure. Does that help so, you? It was never intentional. I just showed up. I work from home and I have asthma. And so I were, and I'm a jock. And so I were, I was like, if I, this is just how it is, but it became such a consistent present. It became what I became known for, but why I like it is there's a lot of people out there that are going to like dress the part. What I want to do is I want to show you, I want when you're being coached by me, that you feel like you're looking in the mirror, mm-hmm. that it's not such a like polished version. And so again, criticism on that, but it is an intentional play now to make sure people know that they can be authentic. If I can run a million dollar coaching business in a hoodie, then you can probably be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I know it's not for everybody. That's why Karen's there with her beautiful earrings and her beautiful blonde hair and her perfect background. Yeah. Um, and so we can yin yang it a little bit, but, um, yeah, I just had a couple sweatshirts and it was winter and I wore them and then it became, I became the hoodie person. And then I leaned into that because I found that it was so encouraging for people that I showed up as who I was regardless. So when I speak, I have a fancy tuxedo hoodie. It's just kind of a joke. Really? That's hilarious. I do. I do. Uh, actually, there's one hanging up here. That is great. 
and not and not matching socks too, which is great. I love oh that. yeah, <laughs> you saw that? <laughs> yes, uh, I did. Yeah, this is my one of my three fancy speaking hoodies. Ooh, wow! Very intimidating. Yeah. I love that. That's but all. I mean, like what you said about intimidating, like that's that's what I don't want to be. Yeah. Um, the tacos was when I just started working um, on social media. My coach was coaching me, and they said we'll start talking about, tell stories about your day. And so I started as a comedic pillar where I wrote a fake love letter to tacos (laughs) and it got so much traction. And then what I found, I didn't realize how much tacos were integrated into my life. Charlie and I've been down taco Tuesday every week since we were married 10 years. Like it is a thing in Southern California that you celebrate taco Tuesday. Uh And so when I started talking about that a little bit more, I would just make cheesy in the ads, like something to talk about. Like uh-huh. it was just me being jokey, but then it used the brand. And what it is, is there's so many people that talk about branding and they're like, okay, who do you want to be? I'm going to position myself as this brand. Mm-hmm. Or you could just be who you are and talk about those stories. And when I teach branding, I think there's a couple of things that just started as a social media uh, coaching program that is around engagement and um, I have some clients I work with on, on this, but there's a few things that make me very, very different. Mm. Uh, my sales background experience, right? 18 years. That's eight more years than some companies have been in business. Right. It was a long time. That makes me very, very different. Um, my, my learning, my background, that makes me different. I would, I would say something like uh, my IQ is, is, is high. That makes me different. But what well, is it that Indian. makes Huh? You're Indian, maybe. I don't know. That's another uh, I don't difference. think that's it. And not all Indians have that. They just present that way. But yeah, yeah. Um, I have a pretty high processing power. That makes me different. Uh-huh. What makes us the same? What makes us the same is that we work from home and we live in active wear with mismatched socks. <laughs> what makes us the same is we all love tacos. Mm-hmm. Right? What makes us the same is we banter with our husbands. Yep. And so I want to make sure that from a, a brand perspective, like, yes, I have the sales and leadership ability. And yes, I have this huge company. And yes, all of those things. But I also want you to know there are so many ways in which we are the same. Yeah. Um, and that trust is really, really important. You know, when people find out well, we both like pink, like that's a connection point. And they're going to, people are going to have a hard time listening to me or taking my counsel or advice if we are not connected in some way. Yeah. Right. If I'm on this pedestal. And so it's really, it's an intentional thing now to make sure that as I continue to grow in my abilities, right, which makes me very, very different, that I stay grounded in the things that make me and my audience the same. Yeah. No, I think that's the secret sauce is um, I'm, I'm not intimidated by you. I feel a connection to you. Uh, and um, you don't take yourself too seriously. I don't think people take if they take themselves too seriously and have too much pride in themselves, it's really difficult to be authentic and be right. really who you are. So um, I think that's kind of one of the things that we need to break that off of some of us that we're, we're afraid to show who we really are because we think yeah. we're going to get judged. Agreed. That's really good. Tasha. Thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. I could talk to you for hours. Um, it's really fun to speak with you. And um, I feel like we, uh, we covered a lot of ground here. And thank you for trusting me to share your story uh, for the first time. So public. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I don't feel as naked as I thought I was going to. <laughs> oh, good. So good. Maybe that means it's time. 
Yeah, I think you need to come out with that and tell tell that more often. It's a yeah, really well, story. It's, you just, I don't know, you just don't go on and merge sales training and be like, ah, hey, let me tell you about. Yeah. This. Right? Like it's, it, I feel like it has to be in the right place. Yeah. You know, because it's not, it's not a story. Like I spend, I think it's more important to spend time hearing your story than sure. mine, but there are certain, certainly venues and opportunities for that. So sure. I appreciate the space for that. And I hope it's encouraging to people that they're being coached by, you know, absolutely i don't even know why i'm laughing it's not a funny thing but it's I mean, uh, it's, it's one of those just, it's one of those things well yeah. tasha um i really appreciate it um you are so valuable i hope to have you on again on another podcast uh, episode all right. okay all right cool thanks Eric. all right bless you well there you have it the makings of a pioneer, a very successful person who's added a lot of value, who really at the heart of it is a giver. I feel very comfortable talking with Tasha. She uh, she might call herself tough or come across tough to some people, but I just think the world of her, I think she's got the heart of gold and has the results to prove it. I'm, I'm most impressed by the experience I've had working with the Emerge team in our business. All right. Up next is a short inspirational message. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, you may have taken the challenge that I set out for everyone called the What Went Well Journal challenged you for seven days to write about what went well. Start with 15 things, and then every day, add two more things. Well, I myself have taken up that challenge, and I was, I've been incredibly blessed by what's come up for me. And so I, I want to share a little bit more about this. So the principle is that our brain is wired and made to not remember necessarily facts very well. But in actuality, we remember what we think or feel or say about the memory or the event. So we have the ability when we say things about the event or say things about the memory or about the thing that we're thinking of or the event or the occurrence or whatever it is, when we say, when we think, and when we feel, that's what we remember most. And it's a powerful thing because we can use that natural wiring for our advantage to in actuality rewire our brain. Our mind can actually benefit us. We're not victims of our thinking. We're not trapped inside of our heads. We have the ability to have control and power over what we think about, how we think about things, what we declare over our lives, and we have the ability then to change 
our future. The reason I know this is also not just because of the science that I've been reading, but also because I've been experiencing it. Every evening before I go to bed or before I kind of wind down, I used to veg a lot. I used to veg often, especially if I was really, really busy, had a very full day. And the only thing I wanted to do or had the energy to do was just sit in front of the TV and veg out. Instead of doing that, I've been journaling and I've been writing what went well. And I've sensed while I'm writing it that my countenance, my spirit, my attitude has gone from kind of negative to super, super positive. And I like the way that feels. I like the way I process that. And I I like finishing on a high. I like reflecting. I like what that does for me positively. And I actually found myself battling a lot in the beginning with my own thoughts and my own feelings. You know, I'd start to write something positive about what I did that day or how, what went well that day. And and then my, my mind would start to say, well, yeah, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd hear a voice in my head, you know, say, yeah, but there'd always be that yeah, but. And so I would kick that yeah, but to the curb. I would kick its butt. <laughs> I would. I would kick that butt's butt. And I would change. And I'd say, no, you have no power here. You don't belong here. You need to go. Kick it to the curb right? So I would declare as I'm declaring, and it's amazing. It's becoming, become easier and easier to write 15, 17, 19, 21, 23, 25 things in five, 10 minutes. It's amazing what comes up when I think through my day. So there are, there is a spiritual significance to what I'm doing as well. And I think it's important that we discuss this because we are a faith-based podcast. We are followers of Christ. So I want to read three scriptures that I think are relevant to what we're doing and support what we're doing. The first is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Romans 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 